friends, it's Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. We've been working through a deep and diverse series on parts work and asking the question of what does it look like? What is the experience of inviting Christ deep into our being to help us become aware of the differentiated parts within us, of the fragmented parts and the parts that need to be recreated, to be integrated and united so that we can be one whole person in Christ, fueled by the life of God, oriented around God, energized by God, and to have a sort of peace that's a peace that's not of this world. Friends, if you've traveled this far, you're brave and you're bold and you're risking love. And as Richard Swartz says, it turns out that love is not only the answer for external relationships, but it's also the answer for internal relationships. There are relationships within us that we need to become curious about, that we need to be aware of. And as Grant said in a past episode, that we need to go, huh, what do we notice here? Who is showing up right now in this conversation, in this activity, in this geography, in this season of my life, in this moment, what part of me is presenting? So in the series, I offered uh, a beginning of a teaching with Become Good Soil Intensive from this past year with the courageous uh, participation of my friends Ryan and Grant on stage. And now I want to come back to the beginning because in this world, we are constantly being bombarded by distraction, too much, too many. And this constant diffusion of our attention and our affection takes a toll. And so I want to come back to the beginning and take another pass at framing the category of doing this parts work of internal family systems and the reintegration of the soul. So very recently, I had the privilege of offering a session alongside of my bride, Sherry, with a group of like-hearted allies. And we were introducing this category to them afresh. But this session was unique because it was team taught with Sherry and I, and Sherry bravely offered some of the parts work that she's been going through. And also we concluded the session with a deep meditative experience where we actually did some integrating work with a part in each person in the room that was presenting. It felt kind and winsome to bookend this Become Good Soil Parts Work podcast series with returning back to the teaching. So there'll be some repetitive ideas and some fresh ideas, but I want you to hear from the heart of my wife alongside of me as we dive into this final session and this final episode on parts work. All the images, recommended resources, and the meditations that we practice All of that is available at becomegoodsoil.com forward slash parts work. Let's begin. I would argue that John the Baptist may have been Jesus's closest friend. 
may have been his best friend, even up, up to the, you know, this movement with these apprentices. But if you think about it, it starts in utero, where this, whatever else we know, there's a supernatural pregnancy with Jesus and a supernatural pregnancy with John the Baptist. And they're cousins. And so then you, know, you have Elizabeth and Mary with months on end of these little ones in gestation together. You think about that. I mean, Jesus and his pal. And John the Baptist's whole life was oriented around preparing the way, his whole life. And I love in the book of Acts, it describes his message, the message of John the Baptist's total life change. Like what else was Jesus about but total life change? There was a knowing, there was an intimacy. John the Baptist's life was in wilderness and he was the one who facilitated, shepherded, guided this moment of the revelation of the father, opening of heaven to his son to declare, you are my favorite. You are empowered with the everlasting kingdom, unending the full inheritance that is mine, I give to you. And so John John the Baptist was in the trenches with Jesus and This is the moment of his death. I just wanna invite you to just embody the story because at the time, King Herod was the ruler and he was a man given over to evil, um, using his power for self, for his own kingdom. And as you may recall, he married his brother's wife and John the Baptist called him out on it. He called him out on the adultery. And at the time, John the Baptist was growing in power. So you have King Herod, this very powerful king, but under him is a man who's walking in the kingdom of God. And the king isn't happy about that. He doesn't like the unsettling nature of a powerful man from the ground up. And it was in that context that Herod, this is Matthew 14, Herod had John the Baptist arrested, put in chains and sent to prison. Uh, because John was provoking the king by calling out the adultery. And so the moment, and so the reality is he wants to have John the Baptist killed, but he's in fear. He's afraid because of the people following and uh, John the Baptist. And so it's a birthday party for King Herod. And he finally has his chance. His wife's daughter is providing entertainment, dancing, and she swept Herod away, it says, in his drunken enthusiasm. And so you see just the opulence, the abundance, the king in his kingdom, it's all about him. And this fear of John the Baptist, but now his reputation, he's being caught up in drunken enthusiasm and he's swept up by the beauty of this young woman and he promises her and on oath anything she wanted and this is fascinating, already coached by her mother, she was ready. Give me served up on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. That sobered up the king very fast, but unwilling to lose his face with his guests, he did it. So he ordered the beheading of John the Baptist and it was served to the girl on a platter. She in turn gave it to her mother. John's disciples took the headless body, buried it, and went to Jesus. So this is where we find Jesus, deep in the ministry. 
He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. The deaf hear, the blind see. The, uh, miracle after miracle, many and much. And his best friend is beheaded at a drunken party and his brothers take the body. And so this is what Jesus did. He, slept away. he slipped away on a boat to an out of the way place. He just wanted to be by himself, but he was unsuccessful. Someone saw him and the word got around. And soon a lot of people in the nearby villages walked around the lake and found where he was. And here's the key. When Jesus saw them coming, he was overcome with compassion and he began to heal the sick. You think about that. What if it were you? Like, doesn't he deserve a break? Like, isn't it right for him to grieve? In 1 John 3, I love um, John's description. He describes compassion as God's love residing within. So here's Jesus, this awful, horrific death, impossible path forward, and he has utter compassion for the broken. And as the miracles go on, the story goes, like most of them never come back to say thank you. Most of the ministry doesn't produce a lot of fruit. What kind of man do we encounter when we encounter Jesus at that stage of his maturation. I think what I wanna say is this was the secret weapon of Jesus's life. Everything John and Stacy described this morning is embodied in what we name as wholeheartedness. As a man and as a, or as a woman, a wholeheartedness that his entire life was integrated, right, the fragments were pulled together and matured in oneness and connection with his father. He had the kind of wholeness that in a moment of such profound suffering, he didn't just do the right thing, but he had compassion. I, I love, I wanna draw from um, Resilient chapter six for this session. Sherry's gonna come up in just a bit. I love how John describes when we see Jesus in a moment like this, his life and his character, he was simply good through and through. That's what we see is goodness, his character so alluring, so winsome. Whenever you see him relating to people, you're watching holiness in action. And then he goes on to say, um, John said that even when Jesus was tested severely, you see that same wholeness, holiness, wholeheartedness in action. And here's the key, there's a verse that's fascinating, and I think it's one of the most fundamental verses in understanding our ascent as disciples. And Jesus says in his severe testing, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Just think about the inverse of that. What happens when the ruler of this world comes and finds things in us, points of accessibility? 
over 20 years ago, John and I both went through a deliverance with this Yoda-esque guy. And uh, we scribed for each other. And one of the fascinating things he said is the, the heartbeat of the deliverance is to get the, the warfare from the inside to the outside. Let's secure the borders so that you have a fighting chance. And it's far more effective to fight the battles when they're on the outside than when they're within. And the secret of the power of Christ maturing in oneness was there was nothing in him when he faced the impossible. John says that the enemy tried every angle he could to find um, something in Jesus, seduction, rejection, threat, fear of not having enough, even torture. Nothing worked because Satan had nothing in him to use as a hook. Imagine the sheer relief of this. The goal of God's work in us is Jesus taking up residence in every part with nothing left out. And guys, like, you know, John alluded to the times that we're in and, and it's hard, it's, it's nearly impossible without a revelation to be like uh, Eugene Peterson says, like uh, a fish in polluted water. How does a fish know when it's in polluted water? But we know that every generation faces unprecedented challenges and every generation has unprecedented provision. And the uniqueness of this hour, I mean, it's fascinating. So 2006, the iPhone didn't exist. It was a different world. And you think about what changed in 2007, though we didn't know it at the time. 2023, I believe very strongly will be marked quarter century from now is one of the most profound shifts in the human conscience and the human story because of this proliferation of AI and the, this, this coming together of augmented reality, artificial reality. You know, um, this is the year that AI became mainstream. And when it's handed to disintegrated people and disintegrated communities, you know what happens with that sort of leverage, you know, and you couple that with deep fake technology, the reality is like, if history continues in its exponential shift, we are in the stone age of technological advancement. You think about that. Our grandkids will laugh when they see today's technology. That, that, it's simply to be sober because the only antidote to that is wholehearted life deeply immersed in the river of life. The outposts of Eden going into an impossible world and living out the major theme and proving that nothing is greater than God and his kingdom. As Dallas says, the only thing that is real, what is reality? God and his kingdom permeated, immersed in all things. And so I share that with great hopefulness that we're, we're God's secret weapon. Okay, and so in um, Resilient, from that place, from this idea of how do you get to that place where there's nothing in me? And John gives a really brave, in my opinion, audacious invitation to this idea. What if salvation is a process? What if it's not an event? Oh yes, John said that salvation is a homecoming to be sure. That's an event. 
Our salvation begins when we first turn towards Jesus with an open heart. When we come to him for mercy, our homecoming is utterly life-changing. That is true. But what surprises us, what we can heart and can really dishearten us is that it's not instantaneously life-changing. Not thoroughly, that is. This is because salvation is also the act of recreation of our fallen humanity, the restoration of our life through union with Christ. And that happens over time. That happens over time. So what I wanna explore today is what's in the way. And, and I wanna grab something that you know, like you know this and you experience all the time, but it goes often unnamed and mishandled. And it's this language, well, part of me. You know this, right? Part of me is really glad to be here. Part of me is scared to be here. Part of me is so honored to team teach in a few minutes with my wife. And part of me wants to run. What a bad idea. Why, why would anyone do that on purpose? Let's be honest. You, I could do a lot better on my own and tell stories about her and look better than I am. Part of me. You know this language, right? We use it all the time this dichotomy, this, this internal war, this civil war. You, we use these phrases like, I was beside myself. I wasn't myself. Like, what if they're telling us something about reality that we blow by? Alex, if you can put that painting up. I, I love, this is an image God gave me of, what if the human soul was actually these vibrant parts, these reds, yellows, greens, and yet what we try to do to make sense of our life is sort of mix them together and we end up with the uni universal color of brown, which is the word I'll use at this event because it's not a boot camp, okay? <laughs> like inevitably you mix these brilliant colors and you get something like brown. But how often do we do this where we say, well, part of me, feel, I'm really excited, but I'm also embarrassed. And then we move forward of just this sort of like meh rather than what if part of me is really excited and part of me is really scared. And the invitation as an apprentice is to get very uh, tuned to the parts within me. What if that is part of growing into wholeheartedness, the outpost of Eden being restored because these rogue parts, the fragmented parts which are separate from most of me and most of you that's in Christ, get to come home, get to be saved, and then get to mature over time. Dallas Willard says the individual, like the group, is often divided into incoherent fragments. And I love this quote by him in Renovation of the Heart. He says, spiritual transformation is the process of all the essential parts of the human self being effectively organized around God as they are restored and sustained by him. Just think about that for a moment, that actually this, this kind of vague term of spiritual transformation is a process of all the parts, the red, yellow, green, blue, ages, stages, within a human person being organized back around the source of life and restored, maturing in oneness, and sustained by him. What if that were the story? My favorite, in one of his books, he, he, he has this 
risky definition of Christianity where he says it's the process. What is salvation? The process of more parts of me belonging to more parts of God. That, talk about going deeper. You know this. And where I began to discover this is a phrase that Sherry gently, graciously continued to bring to my attention over multiple years in conflict where she would say, "Hun, why does the strategist always get to drive? What are you talking about? You know, and then dismiss, ignore. Next month, two months later, another fight. Why does the strategist always get to drive the bus? And what, I, what we realized over time was the perfect sort of metaphor for these fragmented parts is like the precious short bus. It would drive around with all these precious little ones. I use this at the intensive, so I found this bus. You know this, this is a good picture externally of the internal reality in which we find these fragmented, precious parts of us. All these young, uninitiated, disconnected parts and there's always someone trying to commandeer the bus. And in my story, the strategist, which is part of my gifting, my Imago Dei, outside of God, it's, that was my self-salvation project. I mean, that's how I made life work, right? Because mom says, don't make an enemy and always put on a smile and be a nice guy. And dad's a big deal in a world that's not around me. He's a physician, you know, he grew up poor and became this big physician and he was just gone. And so the message was like, get your shit together, be a hero, find a way. And I strategize my way out of everything. So in a moment of a trauma response, the part of me is in Christ and part of me is mature. And then there's this guy that grabs the wheel and takes over the bus. And so often these parts, they get formed um, in extreme acute moments when they were asked to take on extreme roles. So they get stuck at an age or stage, but often it's in an extreme response because he thinks we're always going to die. When the father just wants to come to him and say, no, you're okay. You're okay. You don't, you don't have to drive. This isn't on you. Um, I was, uh, I was driving, praying about this the other day. It was just, I love God. I love this, the wildness of him. So I'm praying, I'm on Garden of the Gods, I-25, and I pull up at a light, and I'm just thinking about these parts and kind of how they work, how they manifest. And there's this pathfinder in front of me. And uh, this is the bumper sticker on the back of this, uh, this truck. Alex, if you can put this one up. Please be patient. I am nine years old. <laughs> it was so good. And I'm pulling out my, my phone to try to get a picture. It's like so honest, right? <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh man, just give that guy some space. He's just nine. And then I thought of like how many times in the early, of early days of our marriage, like, you know, we're trying to make plans for a Thanksgiving trip. That's not a big deal. But when she's eight and I'm six, <laughs> that is a very hard decision, right? Please be patient. I'm nine years old. This is so different than caution student driver, right? Because caution student driver is like mom or dad, like, we're nervous too. Give it, just give us some space, okay? Like, we don't trust them. You don't trust them. Look at the sticker. But this is like, oh, precious nine. You, it's okay that you're going very slow or 95 miles an hour. I would too if I were nine. Do you see how you shift towards it, right? What if 
that was how you were meant to relate internally. Because how we relate internally to this community of persons often correlates with how we relate externally. This is a treasure trail. We treat our fragmented parts like problems, but they're actually trailheads to the gold of becoming wholehearted, becoming resilient, no matter what the circumstances. And Paul names this, he says, parts of me covertly rebel. They grab me, commandeer the bus just when I least expect it and they take charge. So I I just wanna do a short exercise. We'll put on some music just, just for a minute or two. And I just want you to write down some parts. What do you notice just today? Right now, part of me feels this, part of me feels that. So Alex, if you want to just put on some music, I just want you to tune in. We're trying to become attuned to our internal landscape. So just even in this moment, who's here? come really easily to you, but I'll just make some prompts that might help you. This isn't an exhaustive list, but we're just tuning in. Stacy and John talked this morning. Often it starts with, what parts of you need some care? What parts of you generally does older you, that is to say your, your adult self, your true self, the one that's aligned with Christ, which parts of you generally receive neglect from your true self? You, put, you push her down or away, ignore, tolerate, drives the bus, fight, flight, or fear, this person grabs the wheel time and time again. Walking into deeper feeling that comes up, registration or first meal, my name and where I'm from, who's there in you? Often it's a pattern. He always does this. She never does that. Context changes, but even if I go to vacation, he always comes with me. 
up just for this moment, but Holy Spirit, just any other part that you're wanting to make me aware of here. Funny, so full disclosure, I walk in and I see like a lot of you, you're my people. Like we've done some miles together. This room is filled with a lot of people I love. And most of the people I spent a lot of time with in this room, if not all of them, are men. And I walked in and there's this like 13-year-old me, and he says to older me, like, you didn't tell me there were going to be girls there. <laughs> And like, I picture him on this little BMX bike, like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. This is free, like, this is not good for me. And I've just learned, okay, welcome. Like, nope, nope, you're not gonna drive the bus. You're okay. They're not gonna bite you. We're safe. We're safe, but like, there's this little part of me that's like, oh, wow, there's a lot of women. You know, and, the, and he's 13 and he doesn't get to be in charge, but to learn to listen to him and go, what is that? Like, what is that when I'm with these guys I have so many miles with, but then when we're with our spouses, it's like, I, I, get, I get nervous. How do you learn to tune into that? How is that informing me? What do I need to learn from it? tuning in to the fragmented parts. We train ourselves to neglect them, to reject them, to resent them, because they sabotage our self-salvation strategy. But every one of them has a destiny in God's kingdom to be grafted in to the rivers of life in order that we can become fully whole, mature in oneness, and live as one united by God, with God, become unstoppable. How about you guys, some parts? I told you about my guy that's 13 on his bike, scared of girls. Is there a part that you'd say, yeah, this guy's here, this gal, Lawrence. I shared last night just the vision that came and that little guy, you know, you walk in and it's like his, his poser is, I want to create the environment that makes, it's what I wanted. Of course, I can never live in it because that guy keeps me out of it. It just gets bigger and the mask is bigger and, and he's just terrified. His needs won't be met and he, he'll be abandoned again. Yes. So you heard from Lawrence, right? There's part of him that there's this little guy that's actually really scared. But what you meet when you meet Lawrence, and far less now than when I met you at first, right? At first, it's get big, get in charge, lead. And there's incredible gifting in that. But part of it is I don't want you to see him because he, he doesn't have a place at the table, right? He's, and he's been abandoned once. He, we're not, we're not going to let that happen to him again, Right? What else? Another part? Mine that came really fast was part of me is unsure if people like me. Mm. And that's fourth grade. And that's yeah. really awkward. And, 
And Jess, what's the, therefore, what's the temptation with that part? No one's going to like me when it's not in Christ and she sort of goes rogue. What, what does she do to the internal community? West Texas beauty pageant. Okay. Oh, Samantha. You have to earn it. Yes. It's brave. One of those conversations. I'm an only child. My yeah. parents moved a lot, and coming here reminds me of going to a new school and seeing all the clicks and just kind of oh. drawing and eating my lunch by myself. Okay. Oh my. <laughs> did you all hear that in the back? A only child um, in the feeling. This was being in school at a new school and seeing all the clicks, right? And just going where do I fit? I don't fit. I'll just eat by myself, right? And it's just, this isn't a school and there aren't cliques, but to that little one, there's a script, there's a narrative. Now the issue is what happens when she commandeers the bus, right? Because you could either put on a super social face, but inside feel isolated, or you just draw back and we miss on getting to know God's heart through you that we can't know through anyone else. And you, you just, through lifestyle warfare in Christ, were, lived out being the antidote to that isolation. So well done. Well done. Friends, this is the deep end of the pool because this is where all the nuances start surfacing, where you attune to the fragments one by one. And slowly and steadily, discipleship is the path and process to bring them home to God, organized around him, restored in him, and then sustained by him, right? Older you is not just independent. You have it all together. It's my life is rooted into Christ, the the branch into the vine, okay? This is the heartbeat. This is what we wanna go after. And we wanna invite you over time to begin to get curious, to listen to your language, to see this in the scriptures, that so often um, it's an external description of an internal reality. And God is very interested in pursuing every part of you in a very particular way, not just this general way. Um, Cher Bear, can you come join me? You got it, bye. So that by way of uh, prologue, um, Welcome. Do you want a table here? Do you want me to change anything? (laughs) You you, you got it. You got it going on. Thanks, baby. She did just say I got it going on. So, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Samantha. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Take me back to boot camp. (laughs) (laughs) C13. He's like, we need to go. I told you, get on the bike. Just keep pedaling. We can still get out. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Jesus, we love you. Come along. We're going to be just fine right here with all these girls. I promise. We've done it a couple times before. 
dude's so good. What do you, where, where does your heart go? And um, in light of that, would you be willing to walk us into a particular um, experience you've had with yes. integrating a part? You got it. First of all, Lawrence, Jess, Samantha, Brenda, thank you. I'm so thankful we don't have to come into this connectivity by ourselves, that when we hear our siblings share, um, all of a sudden, my heart's showing up a lot more than it was. It's coming out Mm -hmm. more. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So, guys, I'm going to show you a picture of um, three of my parts. Alex, if you wouldn't mind. A lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That just looks like a party to go right there. No, I'm joking. Okay. Um, so you guys, these are um, shame and despair, self-hatred. If you can see, it's a, um, a kiddo driving a tank. And harm and chaos, a cyclone just creating chaos. I was laughing that the second I came up, like, stuff starts falling. So the irony is I did it. I made a disaster. But you, right? That part's like, look what happens. Yeah, I come totally. up and, like, it was me. I'm surrounded like, by water really? bottles. Wow, that just happened. Um, that, so if you guys imagine what, what, it's interesting because I chose shame and despair for this, but the, the font, the, the fountainhead of shame and despair is fear. And the response is to cower, to retreat. And um, the despair is, I will never have another way of being in the world other than the cowering, the retreating, the hiding. And the shame is, is um, both shame feeling shame for being so cowardly and so afraid and then feeling the shame, that deep sense of there's something terribly wrong with me that initiated all of the isolation and all the aloneness and all the abandonment. The self-hatred. When I saw this picture, I was like, this is it. This is my life. So it's a tank, but it's trained on me and it's really intent on controlling my behavior so that I can um, experience love and belonging. So hustle, hustle for love and belonging, keep me in line. And when I step out of line, come with like, th- try to, you know, basically do like make a, make a shot, not lethal enough to annihilate me, but definitely strong enough to get me in line. And then harm and chaos. If you were asking what's the, you know, Morgan does this, um, um, exercise at the intensive, or not at the intensive, but he invites men to reflect on what would they have on their tombstone? What would it say, the epitaph of their life for their false self? And my deepest fear is that mine would say, she brought harm and chaos. The deepest fear is that that would be my impact and um, harm and chaos. So what I, Morgan, as Morgan and I have been meditating on this, what we've come to notice and is that each of these, actually, these, these parts of me, um, as, as they have come into integration, as they're coming to know the love of God, they actually have a gift to bring to the body of Christ. They have a gift for um, our siblinghood, for our common good, as each of you do and as each of your parts does. And so shame and despair. Um, if you, can you show up the other, the other one, Alex, of my, my, so shame and despair, actually, she, um, part, what, what father intends for that part is to bring joyful perseverance. And in fact, it's like an, um, you could almost say indomitable perseverance. It's even more, uh, strong than, than, and it's joyful perseverance for love and for, um, our father's kingdom and to love my siblings and to come together on behalf of what our father wills. Um, the self-hatred, 
actually is meant to bring loving trust. Loving trust in the goodness of our Father and the abundance of the kingdom, that we aren't in competition with each other, that, there is, that the scarcity is an illusion, and that there is place for all of us. And that the harm and chaos, that kind of like energy in me, is not actually meant for chaos or harm. It's steady zest. And um, you guys, I, it's part of my, it's actually one of my generational blessings. My 96-year-old mother, or excuse me, 96-year-old mother, not yet, my 96-year-old grandmother, um, when I was in college, I took her um, on a, um, a drive through the woods of Southern Illinois in the spring in April, and we went looking for uh, redbud trees and dogwoods. And we would come around the bend, and my grandmother would go, <gasps> like when we saw a dogwood off in the distance, this steady zest is part of my, um, part of my generational blessing. We have obviously generational sin that we inherit, but thank God we inherit some generational blessings. So th- that, that steady zest um, and enthusiasm but not, not ungoverned enthusiasm, but an enthusiasm that um, is meant for the common good. <clears throat> so all the things that in our um, in disintegration get turned inward. And I appreciate there's a, um, a book recently that our father drew me to um, by Cornelius Plantinga, which is um, on, it's, it's a breviary of, of sin. It's him actually reflecting on sin. And he's describing the parasitical, decreative aspect of sin, that sin is actually, it's decreative. It's what's pulling us to be subhuman, pulling us away from our genuine human vocation. And um, to reflect that it can only defile that which our Father meant for good. And so as we take for each of these places that have found ways of being in the world because they've experienced isolation or neglect, abuse, all of the ways that we have experienced deprivation or transgression, that they, um, my, my, my uh, disintegrated parts, they, as they come into the Father, then they bring something for our family, our common family. So that's so a little good. bit of my I reflection. Thank you. Thanks, bud. Do you, and what I hope you notice is each of these trigger points that feel like problems end up being trailheads that over time you get this, right? This is the steady work of literally allowing Christ to infuse every fractured and fragmented part and bringing, bring them back. And, and you see also, if you don't know this in your own story, you know, you step on a landmine, don't realize it, or in a marriage, right? To know these things about my wife are essential to understand the story that she's telling herself, right? When, you, when she comes into a new school for the first time, right? That knowing that Stacy described about John, that yada that was so beautiful. So my question to you is, how do you begin to identify the trailheads? This is where, you guys, it gets so fun because Christ has permeated the entirety of our lives to ever, he's an ever-present reality saying, right now. Okay, we missed that, it's okay, right now. Okay, here's a trailhead right now. And it begins to be uh, this love language between Christ and these parts that we've rejected for so long. I'll give an example of mine. So Alex, you can put up that Bob, Bobby Walker. The Company Men is just a brilliant modern day parable. If you haven't seen it, there's a couple uh, BGS podcasts unpacking it. We do it at the intensive. 
Bobby Walker is sort of an uh, archetype of my false self. So level one, true self, false self. And Sherry said with the epitaph, my story would be, he came through. That's what would be on my grave marker, my fear from my family. He came through proudly and anxiously for many and much at the expense of who and what mattered most. That's the great fear of my false self. And that's the path I was on. Now, I did a lot of years of trying to understand who I am outside of Christ. Bobby Walker is success-driven, all about the metrics, corporate executive, using a kingdom to feel good, to find love, to receive validation. But what I realized um, is there's a whole world of fragmented parts inside of Bobby Walker. And part of the nuance of apprenticeship is tuning in to each one, one at a time, and seeing what Christ wants to do in that space. And so I'll just give a practical example. InterQuest and I-25, probably 14 months ago, I was driving and I was biting my nails. And I realized, you know, I was 46 at the time. I've, I've been a nail biter since I can remember. So 46, probably 43 years. I've tried everything to quit. And like, I'm pretty intense and and can do discipline. And like, if I want to quit something, most of the time I can quit. I'm like, what is with this thing? So I'm biting my nails, but now I'm doing this parts work. Ryan and I have spent over a year um, diving into our parts work together. And so this was really my way of seeing and interpreting. So I'm biting my, I'm go to bite my nails. And then I said, Jesus, what part of me is biting its nails? I never asked that question but 43 years of trying to stop. I was just curious. And then now the father shows up and he says, son, now is when we rest. And I'm just driving, but there's like this little boy driving now. I'm only nine. So look at the sticker, give me some space. And he says, now is when we rest. And I was like, No, now it's when we bite our nails because that's what we do on this drive every day, picking up our kids from school. And he just, it was so fatherly. It was so affectionate. And I just, I'm learning, just stay in the discomfort. Don't have to, John said, don't, I don't have to figure all this out. Like I have a good, good father. He has proven his track record for three decades that he will finish what he started. And so I said, okay, now it's when we rest. And I'm just sitting there going, this feels really different. And then I realized below, like Lawrence said, the scared boy is protected by this angry guy. For me, it's do more. It's this, this is my guy. It's do more, do more, do more, like never enough. And so I have to be doing something. And so there's no such thing as downtime because now is when I bite my nails and it's this frenetic activity and I chase it down to, I'm always doing something because then, I can prove to myself in the world, at least I tried with every ounce of my energy. I couldn't have done more. And I was severely addicted to uh, caffeine in, in college. I'd sleep like average two to three hours a night because I just needed to do more to prove my worth. And so this little, and so the, there's this do more that just fills every gap. And below the do more, like Lawrence described, this scared boy, for me, there was this overwhelmed boy. and 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 I've battled overwhelmed for years. And so eventually I was with a counselor a week after this, like trying to understand like, what is this? Do more and overwhelmed. And she said, oh, well, you're just undernourished. And 
And she said, overwhelmed is undernourished. And so I have this do more because he's overwhelmed. Now it's undernourished. And now we're getting closer and closer to this exiled, fragmented part. And then this counselor says, well, um, it's a fatherless boy. And at that time, I'm just like, you know, I do that face, you smile when you're with a professional counselor because you want them to feel good about their job. And I'm sitting there going, sweetheart, like, I've done 15 years of work of becoming a son, receiving God as father. Like, it's not a fatherless place. And then she says, where was your dad when you were three? I just broke, broke down and the boy, right? The nail biter son, now is when we rest. He showed up and, and, and she'd been walking with me for a long time, my story. And she said, your dad was hiding at work. He was scared of her and he didn't know what to do with her emotions. And so he left her with you. And it was like just this validation that I didn't even understand that so much of my frenetic doing was this malnourished, undernourished little guy. And she said, I want you to find a picture when you were three because you know she was teaching me developmentally, right around three, there's a shift where a child is looking to dad, especially a boy, to see his own face reflected in dad. And so he's looking for dad and dad's face tells boy who he is. What is his identity? And I, I always describe my story for 25 years before that, though I didn't realize what I was saying was like, I looked in the mirror when I went to college and I was a, boy, a man without a face. Like, I, I just felt like I had no soul and I was just coming to a deep conviction and coming into Christ. And so, I couldn't find a picture, but I did find this picture of Joshua and I. And, um, and it was like, ah, when I saw my little guy and realized that's what, I, that's what I'm made for and that's what I didn't have. And I thought, oh, Joshua and I, like, there's a lot I missed, but a thousand times a thousand we had that. And I look at like, you know, um, what he's become, Maybe you can put a picture of him with this sledgehammer. And this is my son this year. That's that same little guy looking at his dad's gaze. And here I am, you know, biting my nails at this intersection of just do more, do more, earn your way, prove it to just be okay. And so this beautiful trail, and there isn't time to unpack it all today, but um, I took the time, went out east, two days hunting, just to say, I'm taking the undernourished boy and I, I, he needs fed. And Jesus said, I will share the food that I have with you. And then went through these scriptures. I'm sitting in a tree for two days, just um, archery hunting. And, and I don't normally tree stand hunt. I was new piece of land that I scouted and I'm in this tree and there are no deer. But like all day, this beauty, these thousands of geese and then going through these scriptures in my heart of Jesus, like where, you know, he's at the well, like we saw the tree of life and the rivers of life um, video where he's with this woman, the disciples go and he says, they come back and he says, I'm hungry. And, um, and, and, and the, the way the story unfolds is they basically say, where'd he get food? Or, he, you know, the, the, the way the description goes, he says, um, he was hungry and in need. And the disciples pressed him and said, Rabbi, eat. 
Aren't you going to eat? And then he said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. So he was physically hungry. But they were like, what are you talking about? You know, like they have this attitude like, no, you don't have food. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And then he goes on to say, you know, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. I and my father are one. My father is my food. I have his food in me. I am nourished. And then he goes on to say, I am the bread of life, right? I am the river of life. Those who come to me, you will not thirst. You will not hunger. He has sustenance, well-being. And Christ invited me to receive food from my father. So he integrated that part. And I can tell you, I haven't bit my nails for like 14 months, not one time. It was like instantaneous, a little bit. And then all at once, it's salvation as a moment and then a process, right? It's all one, integrating the boy. It begins with this sort of a peculiar activity that's on the surface, like Sherry, that moment feeling like I bring harm and chaos, and then you chase it, and then you integrate it, and you work with Christ in it. Next thing you know, not only does it become integrated, but it's part of your secret weapon of what you're intended to bring that the community needs. It's essential for us that you bring your whole self. Who are the exiles? Where are they? And what does Jesus want to do with them? And Scott, that's where, I mean, truly, um, much of this work can't be done on your own. That's the beautiful design of the body. We, we need each other's eyes, and we need to, to surface, to daylight, but also to provide the empathy, to provide that compassion. Like, we just, where we're at in our maturity as apprentices, like, that the body living, embodied living community is not an option. It's not an option. We're, it, um, we want too much. I think that's the way I'd say it. We just want more than what we can get on our own. And this becomes such a brilliant language in community to call out just the glory that you see, the zest and zeal, right? The, truly, that's like a generational, see those tears? Like, it's true. And I need it. And I'm sorry for where I've missed it. So let's pray a little bit into this. Um, you know, this is a lifelong work, but I do believe that we can, um, when Sherry and I were praying pr quite a bit about this, our, our sense was to invite the ministry to one part that needs some care. Like really embodied in Lawrence's word of fear and Simon's word of like, oh, just will you listen? Love me. Um, and as John and Stacy showed us, you know, Jesus may have something very unique for you. Go where he's going. This is a holy space. So be led by God, but we do want to kind of co-lead um, a little journey for a few minutes. And so we'll just sink into God. Just recover your breath again. And I wanna start with orientation in Matthew 28. So we're just get comfortable. This is late into Jesus's ministry. 
He's lived, he's loved, he's modeled, he's given access, he's died, he's resurrected, and he's with us, his apprentices, his like-hearted ones. He headed for the mountain for a reunion. And in that moment, his apprentices saw him and turned their hearts towards him. Though the scripture says, some held back, not sure about risking themselves totally. They turned to him, they loved him, and some in what I wanna suggest in each heart, some part of them held back, not sure about risking themselves totally. Holy Spirit, shine your light. Would you reveal, where is there a part of me that's fragmented? That among other sensations, it is not sure about risking itself totally with you. Friends, what I want to do in this space is just invite Christ to assure your soul that he is available to tend to every part within you. Every image you see or personality presenting, he, he's fully capable of shepherding everyone. And so Jesus, we're asking that you would just tuck everyone else into a safe place. Just breathe the spirit of peace into their being that says, I'm safe, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. And Jesus, we just want you to supernaturally shine your light. Would you shine on this one part within me that needs care? Friends, often that part will have a name or it will have a look. It might be an age, but it might be like some of these images we used, a, a picture of something. It might not even be a person. It might be a cloud or a tornado or a brick wall. Or... Try to get a visual, try to locate, access this part. Jesus, we're asking you to bring your ministry to this part in this place. And, and friends, there are these questions that, that I find really helpful in different versions to try to um, welcome the part closer to Christ. And often, and so I just wanna say these questions and just see where your heart goes to this little one this younger one. The question, are, are you safe? And if not, wh why, are, why are you normally not feeling 
safe? Or if it's not safety, what is it that you normally feel that causes you to stay where you are? Maybe it's fear, anger. And the question it really helps to ask to orient is, what is your role? What is your job in this internal family or this internal community of parts? What do you try to do? And why do you have to do this? Why is it up to you to do this thing? questions that help me access the heart of a, of a fragmented part. What do you want to say and what is it that you need? What do you want to say and what is it that you need? Father, thank you for our brother Simon and his share that to me um, captures the essence of perhaps what most most of our parts, at least some of them are asking, which is, will you love me? Will you love me? Would you love me? Jesus, you are the master of reconciliation. You are the one who can make peace. So Lord, the older parts of us that have been irritated, frustrated with the younger parts of us, Jesus, we come, we fall, we come low before you. Say we're sorry. We're sorry for how we've handled these places in our own hearts that feel immature, they feel embarrassing, they feel like they don't get with a program. We're sorry. We're sorry where we have not extended the hospitality and the shining countenance of our Father to these places within us where we have been hostile. We're sorry. Jesus, cleanse us of our hostility toward the parts of us that um, we are uncomfortable with. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And Papa, show us how to love. Papa, we ask that you would impart to our older places the affection, the delight, the shining countenance God, that it was like we couldn't, we would see these younger places in us that perhaps we have formerly despised and we would find ourselves like we could, we can't stop smiling. We 
We just have so much affection, so much warmth, so much gladness. Papa, we think of how a human is soothed with the message, I'm just glad to be with you. You are the sparkle in my eye. You are my delight. You are the joy of my heart. So minister to the places in us that are needing a revelation, God, of your love. And Jesus, teach the other places, the hostile places in us, to be lovers. Thank you, Papa. Jesus, I pray that you would grant the older places in us a um, determination to, as we are transformed into the image of our true older brother, the one who goes and seeks to save what has been lost, that we would be um, committed to gathering all of the fragmented parts in in partnership with you, Jesus, yoke to you until not one is left out anymore, until all have been called to the table, to the feast. Help us, God, to go after the one, even if the 99 are already collected inside of us. older brother who instead of um, despising, who came to find and to bring us back to the Father, to our Father and yours. Thank you, God. Jesus, we ask that you'd show us how to create habitats and spaces inside of us with you where our younger places can grow up without shame, where they can experience being immature and un, un, um, Jesus, uh, still young, and be able to grow without shame. And friends, often this, this place of integration work. Jesus, I pray you continue to guide this reconciliation work. So often it's that act of forgiveness towards ourself within these parts that unlocks the, the full maturity of forgiveness to reconciliation. Christ, because of you, you have reconciled us to ourselves and to you. We speak a spirit of reconciliation internally. That would you would diffuse the civil war. That you would breathe compassion, God-filled compassion. And Jesus, we're asking for a revelation of the divine role that you intended that has been assaulted in this particular part or the parts that are surfacing today. Would you reveal your intention? Would you demonstrate the purposes 
and plans under heaven for this particular part of me. And Father, I'm asking for your provision for older me, that part that knows you to be the defender and protector of this younger part, that I would cooperate with this process of maturation over time, that I'd be the one who sees this part and advocates for it and stays organized around you, sustained by you. What's really fun in this work is like, often there will be a gift for that part from Christ to that part of a welcome home daughter, welcome home son. Or there'll be an activity for that part as it's integrated into your adult self, something for them to do together or see together. So Holy Spirit, would you shine your light that this is at the epicenter of your work of uncovering the lies and restoring what is true about who we truly are. Would you recover the stained glass? Would you show us the painting that you meant when you meant us in all of its vibrancy? close it with a prayer from resilience. Jesus, unite with every part of me that is not yet united to you. Integrate my entire being into one whole person united with you. I pray for complete union with you throughout my entire being. For you alone, are my salvation, and I ask you for the salvation that is truly salvation right here in this place. I ask for your holiness here in your name. Friends, well done. You are brave. The scriptures say, watch over your heart for from it flows the wellspring of life. And so in this moment, wherever you find yourself considering this deep work, my encouragement to you is guard your heart because from your heart as a man or as a woman flows the wellspring of life, this eternal, unceasing reservoir and spring of life flowing from the throne of heaven for you to be your power, to be your rejuvenation, and to be your strength. 
My hope is that this series would simply be an introduction to a way of thinking, to a way of understanding and interpreting and going deeper, not only in your integration and your maturity, but deeper in your life with God and deeper in your communal living with other like-hearted allies. This is a great series to share with others, to explore together this deep work of integrating our parts. And so as you know, all the images, recommended resources, and the meditations that we practice, all of that is available at becomegoodsoil.com forward slash parts work. In the meantime, as we close today, for a final pause before we go about other things. I want to invite you, friends, to just tune in. Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. In light of this part's work, what is it that you need to guard How is it that the Father is inviting the safeguarding of your soul here and now? Let's pause. Let's breathe. Let's enjoy a focused moment, 90 seconds, to be with God. Receive love. Receive care. And we'll be back together soon on another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. Thanks for risking.